We have got a new Stanley Cup champion. We will go over game six of the Stanley Cup finals. We have the NHL awards to go over as well. The Hall of Fame inductees of 2022. And of course, the coaching carousel that continues on. Episode 139 of the Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Let's go. Final seconds and countdown, the 2022 Stanley Cup champions, your Colorado Avalanche. Welcome into the podcast as always, SD Hockey Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Make sure to follow along on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Kyle Gamard, your host as always. And more articles going up with the hockey writers. I've been pumping them out lately. One on Brock Besser, Bo Horvat's new contract, and the potential for what it could be as well. And I'm just working on one in the one area where Vancouver doesn't necessarily have to worry about for the next couple of years. And that's in goal. Um, a lot of things to go over. Of course, we will start with the Stanley Cup finals and the Colorado Avalanche being crowned the winners. And for the first time in 21 years, Stanley Cup champions. On top of that, the NHL awards were this past week and we'll go over some of the big winners. The Hall of Fame. They just announced the inductees into the 2022 class and the coaching carousel continues on. We'll go over which coaches have landed where, which coaches aren't even going to be coaching anymore. But we'll start, of course, with the Stanley Cup playoffs. And it's funny because this just happened a couple of days ago, so it's pretty still fresh in our minds. Colorado taking down Tampa Bay 2-1 to in Game 6 in Tampa Bay. They claim their first Stanley Cup in 21 years, the last time 2001. That team, hilariously enough, featured General Manager Joe Sackick, Peter Forsberg, Patrick Waugh, Alex Tangay, Milan Hayduk, Rob Blake, Adam Foote. Man, what a team that was and what a team this Colorado uh, team was as well. You know, there were so many really amazing players on this team. Of course, uh, a lot of people think Val- uh, Valerian Nechuchkin was one of the most unheralded and one of their better players in the finals. Kale McCarr walking away with the Conn Smythe Trophy. He led um, all defensemen points. I think he had 20... Well, it's the 29 points he had in just 20 games. Uh, by the way, he was he's 23 years of age. He is the youngest playoff MVP in 52 years and only the third player to win it at a player that age or younger. The last time was Bobby Orr as a 22-year-old with the Bruins in 1970. And then Serge Savard at 23 when he nabbed the honor with the Canadians one year before that. But one of the biggest acquisitions for Colorado was Arturi Lekin. Josh Manson was huge. He set up uh, the Arturi Lekin and goal, really got the play started. But it was Arturi Lekin who scored, I believe, the game-winning goal against the Oilers to send Colorado to the finals and then scores the game-winning goal here to give the Avs the 2-1 eventual lead and win for the Cup. Up ahead, Manson, three on two. McKinnon tried to give it back. Josh goes! Arturi Lekin! 
Lightning are just irate as Manson knocked his man down. That created the odd man rush. Look at the argument there. Maroon better be careful. And it's just, again, what an addition. It just sometimes that works out that you go after players and you think the ads are spectacular. And to be fair, Tampa Bay had a couple really good ads too. Nick Paul was a fantastic ad. He's going to get paid in the offseason. Nick Haig, they gave up a lot. Two first-round picks for it, but also Haig's going to be around with this team moving forward. They gave up a lot for him. It's always dicey when you give up picks and prospects and futures for players to win right here and now. And sometimes it just works out beautifully for a team. Uh, Andrew Cogliano. Now, I don't know if he was an offseason get or a trade deadline get, but he came in, played a big part as well. Josh Manson, Arturi Lekkinen. Last year, Darcy Kemper was brought in on a one-year deal, and Colorado gave up a first-round pick for him. He's a Stanley Cup champion. And listen, we'll talk about the goaltending in just a second here as well. But, you know, uh, all 16 teams, or the majority of the teams that go in, like Boston gave up a lot for Hampus Lindholm. Toronto gave up a lot. They got Blackwell and Giordano and... Teams give up essential amounts. A couple of years ago, Colorado traded two second round picks for Devon Taves. Now, that was nothing because Taves has been spectacular since he got to Colorado. But you always see of, uh, in people question why. Why are you giving up so much to get a player now? Like, why are you? To, that's why. Because sometimes those impacts of those players are so vital that it propels you over. What I saw in this series for the first time in probably three years was a team take Tampa's game plan and execute it better than Tampa Bay. Here's what I mean by that. Outside of, I think, the New York Islanders last season and Toronto to an extent, but not really, was Colorado gain a 2-1 lead and then shut it down. After the first period in game six, the shots on goal were 10 to eight for Tampa. The rest of the two periods, the shots on goal were 22 to 13 Colorado. Tampa Bay had 13 shots in the final two periods, four in the third. Just to also put in perspective as I'm looking at the stats here, you want to know how much different the finals was from the first round. Remember the first round teams are getting five, six power plays apiece. Game six, Colorado, one power play. Tampa Bay, one power play. Those of you who are still arguing that officiating doesn't change the later playoffs go, you are sadly mistaken. Game five, Colorado, two power plays. Game four, just going down the list here for fun. Colorado, two power plays. Tampa Bay, two power plays. Every little thing was called in the first cut round, even two. Completely gone in the finals. So that's an interesting case there. But Colorado did what Tampa Bay has done to literally every other team. Colorado did it better. Colorado has Nathan McKinnon. Gabriel Landis-Cog, Kale McCarr, Miko Rantanen, Nazim Kadri, Nachuchkin, Burakovsky. 
Guys, they won 2-1 on a goal by our Terry Lekkinen. They didn't put four in. They didn't score five goals. Didn't need to. They got up 2-1. Come the third period, their mindset completely changed. They shut things down the moment that period started. Outshot Colorado 9-4. Those last few seconds... Chris Cuthbert was already crowning Colorado the cup champs. Colorado, Kale McCarr was in the forecheck battling in the final 15 seconds. He's like, I got to give it my all now. But that is what Tampa Bay has done for the last two seasons. And even in this playoffs, they did it to Toronto in game seven. They did it to Florida, basically the entire second round. And they did it against the Rangers. And they did at times, but Colorado was the first team in three years to take that game plan and execute it better than Tampa Bay. Now, mind you, Tampa Bay was dealing with apparently a multitude of injuries. Multitude. Apparently, uh, Brain Point had a tear in one of his legs or knees. McDonough was dealing with an insane amount of pain. Anthony Sorelli had an injury. Pierre, uh, Pierre Edward Belmar had a significant injury. And you're going to hear that. Valerie Nachuchkin apparently couldn't take his, uh, couldn't take his skate off. Nazem Kadri couldn't tie his skates. And here's the other thing. A team as good as Colorado, they did not have, according to a statistic that was posted on Twitter, I don't have it in front of me right now, but I know for a fact that Colorado between Pavel Francouz and Darcy Kemper did not have a top 17 goaltender in these playoffs. Out of the 16 teams, they did not have one top 17 goaltender. When it came to a combination of save percentage, goal saved above average, quality starts. You know, Darcy Kemper finished the playoffs with a 9.02 save percentage. Do I still think you need elite goaltending in this league to win a Stanley Cup? Yes. The outlier is if you are a juggernaut loaded top to bottom team like the Colorado Avalanche that can deal with average goaltending. How many markets did we hear that about teams being so good? And they just said, all you need is average goaltending. Toronto, average goaltending. They got worse than that, and they lost. Pavel Francouz was the leading goaltender in save percentage. He had a 9.06. Kemper had a good goals against of like 2.52. But Vasilevsky had better numbers. Unless you are a loaded juggernaut like Colorado. They're the only outlier where you can get away with, I think, average goaltending. You need a really good goalie. But Colorado was the outlier, and they showed that. And I think that was a lesson because I think Kemper's going to go into the offseason. I think Kemper's going to get paid because he won the cup. Not necessarily because he played well, but because they won the cup. Just my two cents there on on the goaltending. I thought that was super fascinating. Not a top 17 goaltender. But Colorado's the outlier, I think, to that rule. I still think you need an elite or great goaltending to at least... Look at the teams that that made the Final Four. Rangers, phenomenal goaltending. Tampa, phenomenal goaltending. Edmonton, say what you want about Mike Smith. He was great in the playoffs. And then Colorado. And I'm not, I'm not discrediting Darcy Kemper, but he wasn't a top 17 goaltender 
based on his statistics in terms of goal saved above average, quality starts. He wasn't up there. That just shows how good of a team Colorado was. Um, For Tampa Bay, real quickly here. Listen, I issued out the multitude of injuries. That's they're still a dynasty in my mind. They are still a dynasty in my mind. Two straight cups finals, a third straight year. They have lost players like Yanni Gord and Barkley Goodrow and Blake Coleman. And they've lost defensemen and, and David Savard. And they just keep turning over guys. It's new bottom six guys that keep propelling them and doing such an incredible job. Listen, I don't, here's the funny thing about John Cooper. He's a phenomenal coach. He is literally, he was with Andre Palat and Tyler Johnson and the kid line growing up from the AHL team all the way to the, to the Tampa Bay Lightning and their Stanley Cups. He is phenomenal and very humble when he wins. He's not pleasant when he loses. And honestly, I don't, I, I don't blame him. I'd be pissed if I lost to but it's funny that people are seeing this side of Tampa Bay and, jo- and John Cooper and Patrick Maroon was, was throwing his stick and taking unnecessarily penalties because things weren't going their way. And he was livid on the game winning goal from Lekkonen because Josh Manson, tell me if you've heard this before, Josh Manson got his body in front of a player and stood in his way and quote unquote picked him Colorado game possession of the puck went down the ice and scored. Where have we seen that before? Oh yeah, game seven against Toronto when Tavares scored and the goal got called back. Just saying, just saying. Um, But you could tell, right? Like Tampa Bay started to unravel when things weren't exactly going their way. All of a sudden the frustration came out when Colorado used Tampa Bay's game plan against them. It's infuriating. And it's hard to find teams that are as good as it, as good at it, as Tampa Bay was. Colorado was the was the team that did it. But this team's going to be back. Their entire core is locked up. Now, they're probably going to lose Andre Palat, who was clutch for this team. And that sucks because they had a kid line of Yanni Gord, Tyler Johnson, Andre Palat come up through the system. They were drafted by this team. And this is just the way the salary cap era is. Players leave and... You know, Tampa Bay is going to have to figure it out, but they've got brain point. They've got Anthony Sorelli. They've got Stamkos Kucherov. They've got Brayden Hagel for another year. I think potentially Nick Paul's gone. You got Hedman, Sergachev, McDonough all in the back end. The core is there, but now you Tampa's just going to do what Tampa does. And they're just going to restock, redraft, get guys in the system. And they're going to be another juggernaut team, I think, again next year. And the last thing I want to touch on here of course, Colorado winning and the epic quote from Nazem Kadri being interviewed after winning the Stanley Cup. Listen to this. We have a lot of fans down in southern Ontario, London, of course, uh, Toronto, etc. What do you want to say to all those fans out there that have stuck with you and wanted to see you have this moment? I love you guys. I love you guys. That's all, uh, that's all there is to be said. I mean, I've had supporters in my corner from day one, never wavered. And... Uh, you know, for everyone that thought I was a liability in the playoffs, you can kiss my ass. <laughs> Honestly, g- good for him. Nazem Kadri with the absolute mic drop. For those who thought I was a playoff liability, 
can kiss my ass. Now, a lot of people took that as shots, like, oh, like they're calling out Dubas and Shanahan and, oh, suck it. What a, what a stupid move. I don't, think he, I don't think he's calling out the organization for Toronto because I think Toronto, if not for Toronto, he wouldn't have ended up in a great situation in Colorado where he was able to grow and develop and now he is the player he is today. Remember, he was not this player in Toronto. This was a career year for Nazem Kadri. Up until this season, Nazem Kadri's career high in points was 61 with Toronto back in the 2016-17 season. He had seasons of 50, 45, 61, 55, and 44 points. And by the way, the two seasons prior in Colorado in 51 games had 36 points and in 56 games had 11 goals and 32 points. 87 points he had never done before. That is 26 more points than he has ever had in a season before. But the shot he made, and a lot of people were saying this online, was that uh, a TSN reporter, Craig Button, who a lot of people have mixed opinions about him. He does, he does a lot of work in the, in the junior ranks, and he does his pre-draft rankings and all that. But this is the clip that I want you to listen to. Now, I couldn't find the exact quote for saying that Kadri was the quote-unquote playoff liability but this was this was his reaction after and they're going to read over all the suspensions but this was this was the craig button quote on i believe it's called leaf's lunch on tsn he's alert here you want what the coaches have been doing the last 24 hours trying to figure out how they're going to fix that hole that nazim kadri left them in there call it a ditch call it a canyon they got a, a big advantage nazim kadri took it away through a selfish selfish act so right now, William Nylander is playing in that third spot as they're practicing or morning skate. So it looks like William Nylander will go center. But as I mentioned, we are on Nazem Kadri watch. He has been suspended four times before. He has been fined three times. He has already forfeited in his career $484,250. You know what MLSC could cost cents. them? Millions of dollars. Because of not winning a series or not being able to go deeper. A huge advantage they had was up the middle of the ice. The three-headed monster. He took it away. I don't care how much he lost. Do you know how much everybody lost in this, potentially? I mean, it's shameful what he did. So, yeah. I mean, this is, this yeah, is a tough one. Yeah, we have, yeah, it's shameful. I know you, one he was waiting. This. He's been waiting well, since Saturday. It, <laughs> well, you know waiting. I'm waiting. I'm going, we're talking about news media. The, mm. the, the, the thing here, you know, I'm telling you what the coaches are thinking about. They're thinking about... How are we going to do this now? Because a major advantage, gone, out the window, because of one stupid act. And think about how it affects you. Now, again, this is why I say good for Kadri. But at this time, this clip was taken in 2019. This was when Tavares and Matthews and Kadri were the three-headed monster in Toronto. And they played Boston in the first round, again. And this is when they had the 3-2 lead in the series, but they did not have Nazem Kadri because he got suspended for the second consecutive year and was, and was gone throughout the rest of the playoffs or for the rest of the round. This is where I think the, this is where I think Nazem Kadri's comments are going towards. I think they're going towards it's the media. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's Craig button in particular, but it's the media for the criticism and the way he was exiled to the public. I think he, I think he still has a great relationship with players. I think he has a great relationship still 
with, with the team. I believe also that originally Toronto tried to try to move Kadri to Calgary for TJ Brody. Hilariously enough, Brody is now a member of the, of the, of the Leafs. But Kadri said, no, I don't want to go there. And Toronto said, okay, let's try a different team. How about Colorado? And he said, I think I would want Colorado. That's how that happened. Kadri had a say and Toronto put him in a position with a team that was up and coming where he could a have a potentially bigger role as a top six center and a chance to grow and maybe not as media crazy of a market. But I think that's where the, I think that is where the comments were being made. I don't think it's necessarily a Toronto or Kyle Dubas or Shanahan or anything like that. Because everybody at the time was screaming for them to move him. They were all over Kadri. And I got to be honest. I don't think Kadri is this player in Toronto. Kadri is only this player because he got the opportunity in a different area. He got to start fresh. He got to start over. I think it worked out the best for him. Maybe not Toronto, but... Four suspensions, back-to-back suspensions in the playoffs that ultimately took him out. I think these are where the comments are coming from. And at the time, you understood why they were made. But Kadri got the last laugh. And deservedly so. Nazem Kadri, Stanley Cup champion. Awesome stuff. All right, let's move on here to the NHL awards that were uh, mid last week. And, you know, some of the awards we already knew, the the Art Ross, the Rocket Richard Trophy, the William M. Jennings Trophy, um, all those were given out because those were statistical numbers and they're not actual voted. They were the leader in goals, points, and the best goaltending tandem in the league. But the awards were given out and some of the major hardware and the big winner, of course, Austin Matthews, not only winning the Hart Memorial Trophy as the MVP, but also the Ted Lindsay as the most outstanding player as voted on by the general manager and his peers. Some of the other big winners from the evening include Mort Sider winning the Calder Trophy as a defenseman for the Detroit Red Wings. Now, this one I think a lot of people were okay with because I think, I think, I think the league got it right. I know Michael Bunting led in points. Trevor Zegras was this spectacular talent that is just making his mark on the league. But Mort Sider is going to be in the Norse candidate and he's going to be a Norse candidate and potential winner for years to come. He had a, a sensational season. I think he still had a pretty decent amount of points, but physically he is a stable unit. He is a horse on the back end and dominated in terms of voting. That was an absolute lock. So congratulations to Mort Sider for winning the Calder. The Vesna Trophy, this one wasn't close either. This one going to Igor Shesterkin. He put up some pretty ridiculous numbers en route to this award. It's the first time he has won the award as well. And, you know, among the other candidates, you know, like I said, this one was an easy one to give to Shesterkin. The other candidates included Jacob Markstrom and UC Soros. None of them got first place votes. First place votes went to Shesterkin, one went to Frederick Anderson, one went to Andre Vasilevsky, and one went to Ilya Sorokin. I don't know how you pick Sorokin over uh, Shesterkin, but the person that picked Sorokin is probably from New York in terms of the Islanders because Islanders Rangers. 
But Shesterkin dominated in terms of points, 154, and second-place Markstrom had just 53. But the numbers he put up were insane, too. A 9.35 save percentage, a 2.07 goals against average, just 26 years of age, and the first time he had ever won it. And he said the person that he looked up to, of course, Henrik Lundqvist, former goaltender for the New York Rangers. Um, going back to Sider real quick, he had 50 points. Just 50 points. In 82 games, played all 82 games. Uh, he had 170 first place votes. The next second was Trevor Zegers with 15, and Michael Bunting had seven. Lucas Raymond also had one too from the from them, but just those are the numbers to put into perspective. Um, Ted Lindsay, this one for Austin Matthews. There's no votes on this one. This is just a, a unanimous vote. Here's the most controversial one that I heard. But what a year for Cal McCarr, by the way. Wins the Norris. Wins the wins the Stanley Cup, and then wins the wins the MVP, which is just he had the run that Kale McCarr had. Conn Smythe winner, Norris winner, Stanley Cup winner. I absolutely friggin' love him. But here was the voting that went down for the Norris Trophy. It was between two guys. So Kale McCarr, eighty six points in seventy seven games. He's never won the award before. He finished with 1,631 points to finish in first place, just barely beating Nashville Predators defenseman Roman Yossi with 1,606. The controversy is shown by the number of first and second place votes that each player accumulated. Kale McCarr had 92 first place votes. Roman Yossi had 98. The difference maker... Kale McCarr had 98 second-place votes to Roman Yossi's 76. 22 more versus Ro- Yossi only got six more first-place votes. Now, it is done by totality in terms of points because it's voted one through five. Other players that got first-place votes include Victor Hedman with four and Charlie McAvoy with one. I don't get the Charlie McAvoy one. Like, I understand he's a he's a legit elite defenseman, but, like, if I'm looking through, like, if I... I don't understand how I'd put McAvoy one over all three of Makar, Yossi, and Hedman. Like, I just, I don't think there's a vote that I could see that. But I don't have a vote, so I don't have a lot of say in it. I think they made the right call. Now, Roman Yossi had a stupid good season. He had like 96 points. He was one of the main reasons Nashville even made the playoffs. But I think when you have such a special impact and season that Kale McCarr did... It's hard not to vote. And I think he really just imprinted his stamp on the league. And I think that was the difference maker. I think that's the big reason. And, and this is the same thing I'm going to get to with the, with the Hart Trophy as well. I think the fact that Kale McCarr, I believe, played against tougher competition from what I've heard. Played on the top unit. I also don't want... I know, and I know these votes are done before the, 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 the playoffs but I almost think the playoffs just kind of reassured the win. Like it would have been different. And I don't think Kale McCarr would have cared, but if Yossi won it after Colorado swept Nashville and McCarr was a major X factor in that, in that series, I think a lot more people would be upset about the fact that Kale McCarr didn't win it versus Roman Yossi. And this, this is why it came so down to the wire. And I think this is why the voting is like this. Cause it's not just strictly first place votes. 
because then, you know, Yossi would have won it. And honestly, those were the two that I had one. That Those are the two that I would have put one to. You, you can argue whatever order. I'm fine with that. But uh, as long as it went to, it didn't go to anybody else outside of those two. That's where I'm okay with it. So whatever the controversy was, I think both guys are extremely well-deserving and a huge congratulations going on out to him. And the final one here is the Hart Trophy. Now, the finalists were Igor Shostarkin, Connor McDavid, and of course, the winner, Austin Matthews. Jonathan Huberto was right behind. He had 13 per- first-place votes, which is wild to me. Um, this is Roman Yossi. He had five. Kamal Carr had zero, which is just wild. So here's my thing, because everyone's like, well, Connor McDavid put up 126 points. Yes, I understand that. It is more impactful to score 60 goals in this league than I think 100 plus points or 120 plus points. The last time we saw someone put up 60 goals was 11 years ago, Steven Stamkos. The time before that, Alexander Ovechkin. The time before that, I think, was Timu Frey and Solani. 60 is just an incredibly difficult number to hit in the league that we play in today. I think Connor McDavid finishing second is fair. I know a lot of people had Igor Shosturkin first based on his insane numbers. I got that too. I got all three of them. But I think if, if once you get to that point, you can make arguments for all three. Where the difference maker is, if Matthew scored 56, still led the league, but scored 56 goals, I wholeheartedly believe Connor McDavid would have been the MVP. Wholeheartedly. But because he hit 60, that was the clincher for me. And I know he did it against Detroit. But you gotta, the scoring is the hardest thing to do in this league. Austin Matthews had 60 of them. No, he's never hit 50 before. He's had two shortened seasons last year in which he also won the Rocket, where he almost scored 50 in like 50-something games. It was insane. McDavid still had 44 goals. It's super impressive. But this is, this is my difference maker. Power play point leaders in the regular season. You want to take a stab at who's 1-2? McDavid Dreisaitl. McDavid had 44 power play points of his 123. 44 of them came when his team had an advantage. That's 36% of Connor McDavid's points came with the extra man. Austin Matthews, 29. That's only a fifth. Now, 16 of Austin Matthews' goals came on the power play. But when you just look at total points, 44 power play points to 29 for Matthews. Matthews also played in 73 games. Connor McDavid played in 80. So in 73 games... Matthews hit 60 goals. To put that in perspective, of the 73, if if you just singled it out, and and Matthews had no hat tricks, no two-goal games, whatever. 
if you laid it out over 73 games, only 13 of them, Austin Matthews didn't register a goal. That's not including his assists or anything like that. Just strictly goals. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. I believe when Ovi hit 63 or 64 that one year, I think he played in 80 or 81 games. It just makes it even more impressive. I think that's the stamp for me on the Hart Trophy, but the awards are out now. There's not really a whole lot you can do about it. So congratulations to the winners, and the league is in very good hands moving forward. Um, Okay, a couple more things I want to get to. The 2022 Hall of Fame inductees were announced yesterday. They include Vancouver Canucks icons Henrik and Daniel Sedin, along with goaltender Roberto Luongo, Daniel Alfredson, former captain of the Ottawa Senators and Finnish women's national team star Rika Salonen are the other players joining them with Herb Carnegie as inducted into, into the hall as a builder. Now, congratulations. The Sedins spent their entire 17-year careers in Vancouver being drafted 1-2 in 99 or 2-3, sorry, in 99. Henrik is the all-time leader in assists with 838 in points with 1,070 and with 1,330. He won the Hart Trophy, Art Ross, in 2010 and is a two-time All-Star. Daniel is Vancouver's all-time leading goal scorer with 393. He also won the Art Ross and Ted Lindsay Award in 2011. Luongo is a first ballot Hall of Famer retiring just a few years ago in 2019. He spent time with the Canucks, Panthers, and Islanders and ranks fourth all-time in wins with 480. 89. He is a three-time Vesna finalist and was a runner-up for the Hart Trophy in 2007. Daniel Alfredson has been eligible since 2017. He finished his 18-year career with 1,157 points in 1,246 games. He's a Calder winner in 96 and claimed the Olympic gold in 2006 and silver in 2014 as a member of Team Sweden. Salonen played 16 years with Finland's women's team, winning 12 medals through various international tournaments and was inducted into the IIHF Hall of Fame in 2010 and became the oldest player in Olympic history to win a medal when she earned bronze in Pyeongchang in 2018. And finally, Carnegie played 10 seasons in the Quebec Senior Hockey League from 1944 to 54, a Toronto native of Jamaican descent, frequently enduring racism, unfortunately, during his playing career and never reaching the NHL level. Despite the fact that he is a member of the Order of Canada, it was inducted into Canada's Sports Hall of Fame in 2001. Now, there's one player that unfortunately was not on the ballot that people are up in arms about, and that is Alexander McGillney. Now, despite the fact that he played nearly 300 less games than Daniel Alfredson, he has nearly 30 more goals, only 120 less points. His points per game is better. Goals per game is better. And in 990 games, finished with 473 goals, 559 assists. He also won the Rocket Richard and scored 73 goals in a season once as well. It's not just that Alexander McGillney didn't make the Hall of Fame. It's that Alexander McGillney hasn't made the Hall of Fame. He's been eligible. This is the 13th consecutive year, not including 2021, when no class was inducted. And a lot of people are very unsure as to why. I read the stats. Here are some of the other players that are already in the Hall of Fame, and I am not excluding them as I don't think that they are, they, they are worthy of going in, but I'm just saying. 
Guy Carboneau was inducted in 2019 for putting up 663 points. He also played in over 300 more games than McGillney. Martin Saint-Louis finished with one more point, almost 100 fewer goals. He was inducted in 2018. Paul Correa has 71 less goals, over 100 less points or 100 less points. He was inducted in 2017. That's what I mean. Like, I'm not trying to put it over guys like Daniel Alfredson. And by the way, big thank you to the score for posting these stats. But that that right there is the exact reason I think McGillney deserves to be in there. Now, is it just bad luck that he got in? Well, no, because he went up against Carboneau and St. Louis and Korea en route to not making it for 13 consecutive years. So I don't know. I watched him play. He was absolutely nasty. And then hearing more about what he did before I even really got into hockey is just even more mind-bottling. So that's the big one right now. Let me know what you think. Do you think McGillney deserves to be in? Do you understand why? Regardless, it's a, uh, it's a tough pill to swallow for, uh, for McGillney, his family and company and everything like that because he was a special, special player. Um, okay, I want to get through fast here because I want to head on out, but there's a few different coaches going in and the coaching carousel that we've got to get to. The latest, Luke Richardson, hired by the Chicago Blackhawks as the new head coach. Um, General Manager Kyle David announced on Monday that Richardson replaces Derek King, who finished last season as the interim head coach. He played in he played for six teams in 21 years as a player, finishing with 35 goals and 166 assists in 1,400 games. The native of Ottawa, Ontario. I didn't realize this about him as well, but actually he took over as head coach for the Montreal Canadiens when Dominic Ducharme was diagnosed with COVID in 2021. He he was the one that coached them for six games and helped lead Montreal. He was part of their coaching staff to the Stanley Cup final the first time since 93. That was where he was and, of course, had a really good interview with um, with Stan Bowman and Kyle Davidson and ultimately is now the new head coach over in Chicago. I don't want to go over a ton of them. So here is where we stand right now with the coaches. Lambert is the new head coach of the New York Islanders. Marty St. Louis stays in Montreal. Bruce Cassidy goes to Vegas. John Tortorella at Philadelphia. Woodcroft stays in Edmonton. Peter DeBoer goes to Dallas. Paul Maurice to Florida. Luke Richardson to Chicago. Barry Trotz made the announcement after it might look like he go will go to Winnipeg. Announced that he's taking a step Back from coaching, we'll decide a little bit later on. Teams that are still in need of head coach include Winnipeg, the Bruins, and the Detroit Red Wings. So Trotz is now out. This is where teams like Winnipeg and Boston are scared. And this is where teams like Vegas made the right move and snatched and pounced and said, listen, we're not going to be, we, we can't be overly patient because if we're overly patient and put all our eggs in one basket and that guy no longer coaches, we're screwed. That's why Vegas was out of the trots deal. Vegas pulled out early, got Bruce Cassidy closed deal. Winnipeg put all their eggs in one basket. Unfortunately, Barry trots decided he doesn't want to coach for the next little bit. So Winnipeg, Boston, Detroit are all standing there right now kind of waning the whims to see if anyone else is going to kind of sub, uh, emerge and become a candidate. But it's that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight coaching, coaching vacancies taken. 
St. Louis stayed. Woodcroft stayed. That's it. And there's three more to go. That's a third of the league that is overchanging its coaching staffs. Immaculate stuff. Really, really immaculate stuff. Uh, before we head on out of here, just one more thing I want to get to. Uh, the Bruins general manager, they re-signed Don Sweeney to a multi-year extension. The general manager has been a part of that organization for some time now. Uh, he won GM of the year back in 2018-2019 when Boston reached the Stanley Cup final. Um, he's basically been in the club's front office really since 2006, serving in various capacities. Uh, I also played 15 years with the Bruins from 88 to 2003. So uh, Don Sweeney extended uh, yesterday's previous deal was set to expire at the end of the month. Toronto Maple Leafs re-signing defenseman Timothy Lilligren to a two-year deal or $2.8 million total. He has an AAV of $1.4 million. His analytical numbers were spectacular. He put up 23 points in 61 games while playing just 16 minutes and 24 seconds of ice time. Again, underlying numbers are very good. He actually finished 11th in Calder Trophy voting. He received a fourth place vote and three fifth place votes. He was the 17th overall selection in 2017. And has been a process with him, but five years later is slowly making his impact on the team. Toronto has three more RFAs that need new deals. Rasmus Sandin, Pierre Engvall, and Andre Kasha. All right, that does it today. Thank you, as always, for listening in. Follow along to the podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, Instagram, and Twitter at ST Hockey Podcast. All right, playoffs are done. Let the off season begin. That's probably going to be the title of the uh, next episode. Until then, enjoy the rest of the week. I'll see you next. Until then, that's a wrap.